Empire. The modern fan wants options, not just packages. You know, I, I really think it's about um, providing the fans the best experience possible. If you think about the origin of the situation we're in today, season tickets were invented uh, in the 1870s by the Chicago White Stockings when resale didn't exist at all. That's Chris Giles, CEO of Fan Rally, former COO of the Oakland A's, where modern fandom is met with flexible ticket and hospitality packages. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Chris Giles is making his second appearance on the show. When we last spoke, we were talking about some similar concepts of changing the framing of what it means to be a season or partial ticket member of a team. And there has been progress, major progress, around the country. Our guest this week is Chris Giles. He's the CEO of Fan Rally, the former COO of the Oakland A's. Fan Rally is a tech-enabled subscription service that is rethinking what a membership looks like for a fan and their team as they step away from the old model of being a season ticket holder. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm doing excellent, Bram. Thanks for having me on today. Um, you are a former guest. We had a really cool conversation in the past where we were talking a lot about these type of issues. So give us an update here. I think it was a year and a half ago, something like that, when we spoke with you. What is new in this space? So what Fan Rally does is enable teams to sell direct reservations rather than transferable tickets. So think about the way that you would book a hotel room. Uh, you make a reservation. That hotel has your uh, inventory reserved, but they also have who it's reserved for. Um, and so what we enable teams to do is to sell uh, travel-like direct reservations uh, to members so that teams can massively over-deliver on the member value proposition. So if they sell you a stack of resellable tickets, you know the team is constantly thinking through, I want to give them a good price, but not too good of a price, because then that's going to you know, increase the margins that they can make reselling that. When you move to direct reservations that don't have all of these resale complications, you can actually provide members with really substantial value propositions for becoming a member of your team. Okay. All right. So take me through, and a lot of teams have already started doing this in the NFL, Major League Baseball, where dynamic pricing has come in. Obviously, a Giants-Dodgers game is going to be more valuable than a Dodgers-Twins game. Or in the NFL, a Washington-Dallas game is going to be more valuable than just most recently the Washington-Jacksonville game. So how do you kind of think through the membership aspect of what are going to be games that are going to have much more higher demand? So one of the models that we enable for teams uh, is you can actually start with a bank of points that can be used towards reservations. So that higher demand Giants-Dodgers game is going to require more points to reserve. That also expands to different seat locations and different products. Uh, so if you want to sit in the upper deck, it's going to be significantly less of your membership points. Uh, think of a similar model to ClassPass where every month you make your monthly payment, uh, you get a pool of points that you can use, and you can use those to flexibly reserve seats 
across games and all sorts of different products. I remember we had talked about this in the past and it's just unusual for someone who's my age, almost 50 going, you know, I will make a decision. Do I want season tickets or not? And these are where my seats are. And teams still do tours of, Hey, come see our stadium. This is where your seats will be. I remember speaking to you and you were talking about that. Some fans would like games, not all of them, but they don't necessarily have to sit in the same spot every single time. Are, are you finding that with fans now? Um, what we're finding is that it, the new fans, the, you know, 35 years and younger, the seat location um, is less of a, you know, important factor in their decision-making process. They actually want the ability to reserve different seats and specifically to have different seating block sizes. In other words, I might just want to go with one person this game and I might want to go with a group of six the next game. And so that doesn't really lend itself to a fixed seat location. Um, but what we've also figured out is we can also make these memberships attractive to some of the more traditional fans as well by simply allowing them to start with a reserved seat and then to use uh, Fan Rally to exchange those back into points and book something else. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be you either have your reserved seats and you have to go to those every single game or you start with this flexible bank of points. These are actually interchangeable elements on our platform so that that, you know, more seat focused buyer or member can actually start with a set of pre-made reservations that they can cancel and get the points back and use for other things. Okay. All right. Let me give you another example that's outside of sports and just see where this kind of lands with you. Um, We as residents of the Washington DC area are members of the Kennedy center for the performing arts, mainly because we want access to the best shows that are going to show up in a calendar year. And we want to be able to access tickets to those shows. I can only imagine though, there still is no matter what a limitation. So how do you keep members happy knowing that many of them are going to join this specifically are going to be looking at one or two game days that they are going to want to be a part of? Um, I think our uh, uh, we've got a program with the Los Angeles Clippers where we run their memberships in the upper bowl and they have a similar dynamic, right? The best shows in this example are when they play the Lakers at home or when the Warriors, you know, come down to play. So what we've built for the Clippers is those games are actually on a premium tier. So the members have access to reserve those seats, um, but they come with a paid reservation. So you pay your membership fee, you get the ability to reserve any of the other 35 games on the schedule for free as a member. But if you want to reserve one of those premium games, you pay uh, about 80% of the face value of the seat. To make the reservation. So the benefits extend to those more premium events, but they're not necessarily free. And so when you think about kind of managing the overall demand dynamics, if those games that were on that really high demand tier were free, everyone would pile onto those games. So we use that as one mechanism. The other thing we do is we cap the number of simultaneous reservations that each member can hold, very similar to like DVD Netflix. And so you might only have the ability to have three events reserved at a time, but you're deciding what events those are. And so if you really want to go to one of those best, most premium shows, you would make that reservation really far in advance and use one of those slots to hold that reservation, where if you wanted to go to a show this week that might have a lower demand profile, you can just make that reservation on much shorter notice. Okay. Um, Let's say you reserve one of these things, you remember, you can't go. What happens with the tickets? Do you transfer them to somebody else? Do they go back into the pool? How does that work? 
Um, so that's really up to you. So the one thing that we don't allow on our platform is resale. So they're direct reservations with uh, the team and all of our instances today. Uh, and so you can cancel your reservation and get those points or credits back to use uh, on a different event, or I can share my reservation with you, for example. Uh, I can send my reservation to you. Uh, it all happens within the system, so the team knows that you're coming instead of me. Um, so you show up, you've got your uh, your ID and your uh, entrance barcode, and you can come if I transfer those seats to you on Fan Rally. Okay, so for the team, um, where does, is this is this kind of a, it's not the direct obvious um, aspect of it, but is this to try to circumvent secondary ticket market on their behalf to kind of control their tickets to their fans? You know, I, I really think it's about um, providing the fans the best experience possible. If you think about the origin of the situation we're in today, season tickets were invented uh, in the 1870s by the Chicago White Stockings when resale didn't exist at all. And so providing someone a bundle of seats was really providing that individual with the ability to attend those events. Now these ticket bundles are so much more complicated than that because you, there's resale, there's transfers, and teams, what they're really trying to do is get to a place where they can personalize the experience. If they don't really have any control over who has the ticket and they're using this you know, really outdated buyer-controlled inventory model, which doesn't exist across any other medium, you think about how travel does it, yeah. it's all done on a reservation basis. So I think about it more as modernizing uh, the business model that teams use away from a model that's, you know, over 150 years old. Yeah, I mean, I guess if there was a secondary airline market, that would be a problem for everybody to try to deal it's, with. It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same problem. If you think about it, airlines have an expiring set of inventory uh, that has a lot of value until that plane picks up. And then there's no value. Those seats are empty or full. We have the exact same dynamic in sports. Okay. Um, I'll get into the membership part of it as well. I do want to ask just one kind of broader question too about modern fans and their penchant to travel to games. Um, you'll see a beautiful stadium like SoFi is overrun with the Super Bowl champs by Bills Mafia. Uh, we here in Washington have a lot of visiting fans that show up. And I think that this is more of a trend that younger fans are willing to travel. Do you envision a membership package that not only includes the opportunity to buy premium games at the home team site, but travel packages to go see games somewhere else if that's what they would like to do? Absolutely. I think, you know, it's um, worthwhile to mention that there's a lot of complicating factors with pulling that off. It's not easy to do because you have all of these desperate entities, you know, that are all, um, you know, managing their own businesses and, you know, the Rams aren't really in the business of making sure that, you know, the, you know, commanders fans have the best experience when they come, you know, to the building. So I think, you know, it's something that uh, we're certainly looking to enable as a network. In other words, Fan Rally has all of these different relationships with all these teams. Um, eventually, we're going to be launching direct to consumer Fan Rally type memberships that enable access to a lot of different experiences, uh, but that's significantly down the road for us. This isn't just about getting tickets. This is a membership. So when teams think through, what are the perks of membership outside of attending their games and getting tickets to their games? What does that look like and what does that feel like to you? 
I think the best way to answer that is with a few examples of things that we do that really kind of elevate the value proposition beyond what I call the sum of the parts. When you buy a bundle of tickets, the value you're receiving is largely just the combined value of those tickets. Uh, and so one you know, conundrum that a lot of team executives find themselves in is the, the game is getting closer. They have lots of excess inventory uh, and they really don't have the means to sell that inventory other than, you know, what teams used to do is like run these flash sales where, you know, 48 hours before the event, you get these highly discounted seats because, you know, there was very little opportunity cost associated with delivering them. But what teams found over time is that really eroded the membership value. Hey, I paid full price for mine. I committed up front and now you're selling all of these highly discounted seats. Well, we run that same type of process in a very different way on Fan Rally. So rather than, you know, going out through Groupon or whatever channel you wanted to go to, to, you know, you know, offer that flash sale, we actually allow teams to do what we call member powered liquidation. So what they do on Fan Rally is they send out a note that, hey, tonight or tomorrow night is going to be, you know, a $5 member guest night. You can go and add guests to your reservations. You can all sit together. Uh, our algorithms will move your seat location so that it fits with huh. uh, the group size that you're going with. And so teams get that incremental revenue, one. They get the additional people in the building, creates a great atmosphere. Those people obviously spend on food and merchandise, but we're actually enhancing the member value uh, through that entire endeavor as opposed to eroding it. And what about like perks of membership? Uh Rideshare coupons, uh, streaming service coupons, discounts on food, discounts on merchandise, all of the type of things that sports fans would want, certainly in and around the game day experience and, and maybe beyond. How are you guys kind of looking at membership that way? Um, we actually have live programs today that include access to uh, a streaming service. Uh, in one instance, uh, a lot of teams do bundle in, you know, uh, you know, corporate sponsor type of elements, that would be kind of your your ride share example. Um, I really do think, you know, access to the highest demand events and flexible redemption of, hey, I don't want these seats, I want something else, and facilitating that all through uh, a technology platform. You know, a lot of teams now are employing pretty large service teams to manage flexibility for members because they know that that's a requirement to keep members. Um, and so there's also an element of just making this easier uh, for fans to get what they want out of these memberships, you know, especially in a baseball context, like no one wants to go to 81 games and the modern consumer has figured out that not only do we not want to go to every single game, but the secondary marketplaces have all the best inventory because teams require full season purchases in order to get access to those seats. Um, so if you think about it, we've kind of set ourselves up as teams, and, and this is really the lens that I look at it through through my background, is how do we as team executives provide a much more compelling value proposition to members? That's that's really interesting. Something that I just heard you kind of say, which I thought was actually very promising for in-person attendance at sports, is that the fans who join memberships really just want the sports. They're, they're not asking for a million different perks to be a member and be associated with the brand. Well, and what we found um, in my prior life is we would go to all of the, all this trouble to, you know, set up a chalk talk with the assistant GM or invite groups to come out to do batting practice and all of these things that kind of do go above and beyond the sum of the tickets in the package. Um, but less than 10% of the members actually use them. So it's valuable to a small subset. 
But really what they want is they want to be treated differently when they come to a live event. And the only way to do that is to move to a reservation model so the team knows who's coming. I can't treat you differently as a member based on a ticket because you could have sold that to someone else who sold that to someone else. And that third person is actually coming. It's impossible for us to do anything different on a ticketed basis. But what fans really want is, hey, when I come, if I've committed, I want a fundamentally different experience. I want to pay a different price for concessions. And one of the things we did in Oakland uh, when we piloted subscription in 2017 and 18 was we actually allowed our members to pay half of the concessions price. So that's just one element. But I think in order for us to get there, we have to move to a more modern data model. Okay. Um, and we had talked in the past, I thought was really interesting the way you had discussed this about modern stadiums, the way they're set up, what people want in those modern stadiums, that the traditional seating models are things that you would think about that could be different. Where are you now on, as teams think about when they construct new stadiums or, or remodel their stadiums, how fans want to be and how they want to interact in, in inside the stadium itself? I mean, it really comes down to flexibility at the end of the day, which can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. But in essence, you know, fans are, especially the younger fans, the kind of sub 35 group are looking for the ability to go with different groups and different group sizes um, and hang out with different groups throughout the course of an event. Um, it's much more prominent in uh, baseball than it is in like soccer or the NFL, where you've got this like very intense experience and then, you know, the experience is over, whereas baseball kind of lends itself to this logical checking in and checking out. In other words, oh, well, now there's, you know, the runners in scoring position. Let's move our location, you know, up against a rail, but we can go back to the bar and enjoy ourselves. It's really, um, I think Nielsen said it best, they've developed this term called the festivalization of sports, which basically means multifaceted entertainment as part of that live sports experience. What do you mean by that? Like, what would it, what does that look like? I mean, it's, it's basically, think about it, you're going to a sporting event uh, and there's a section of the ballpark, we'll use baseball as an example, uh, that has a live DJ and a different feel and certain types of, you know, cocktails at a bar where you can see out over, you know, the field. We did a lot of this stuff uh, in Oakland at the Treehouse while I was there. Um, it's really about creating... Um, a bunch of different reasons to culminate at the event, regardless of if you're, you know, a diehard fan that wants to watch every pitch or you're getting convinced to go, you know, with a diehard fan. So you want to have a great experience as well. How do we all hang out together and enjoy the event? And, you know, I may be less of a fan than you are, but I still like to go and be outside and hear live music and be, you know, there's something special about, you know, being at a baseball game. And so I think just, uh, you know, getting to the place where we're just acknowledging that not every single person that comes to your event is going to want to sit in their seat and watch every single pitch. Yep. Um, let me ask you a couple about some big issues and see where they land on the idea of members and what they want. Gaming, gambling, NFTs, where, where do they kind of fall into what members want these days? I mean, I think gaming and gambling are the future of sports i think they're just you know it, it gives if you think about what creates that special experience you can get it with your team right but your team's events are limited there's only so many of them um gambling allows you to have a vested interest in the outcome of a game that doesn't involve your team which 
inherently drives a much more compelling experience. I think NFTs is more of a, you know, I think there's definitely going to be a place for NFTs. I think it's still a really novel solution without a really strong consumer following. You know, outside of what the NBA did very early, there's very few kind of novelty success stories. So I think that one I'm, I'm much more of a wait and see on. Okay. Um, all right. So with Fan Rally, from your perspective, how does it work? Do you, you get fans to kind of join or front and center and they're the ones communicating to their fan bases that this is what we're doing now and this is how we're handling memberships? Yeah, it's all about the teams. Um, so we license our software to teams which allows them to build memberships on top of our direct reservations. We enable a whole you know, spectrum of different membership types. You can have what we call a path membership where you would receive the privileges to make specific seat reservations under certain parameters. In other words, you know, any game that's within 14 days, you can book uh, you know, a no-cost seat in sections 104 through 108, for example. Uh, the second model is you get a series of vouchers that can be exchanged for reservations. Uh, and then the last model is the points model that we started with. So that allows more flexibility between different products, different events. You know, one of the drawbacks of using vouchers is exactly what you pointed out about those high demand and low demand games, making sure that we can differentiate those so that the individual who wants to go to more games and really doesn't care about the opponent so much, they just want to go to the day games because they love that experience, they can get a lot more value. Um, this flexible redemption and reservation approach also enables personalization. You get to decide how you want to use your set number of reservations. You can go way out in advance and book something high demand. You can go to as many games as possible and book things, you know, uh, on a much shorter advance time frame. So really thinking about how do we gamify and allow the member to personalize the benefits that they get as opposed to here is a static stack of tickets. It's the game dates are already predetermined for you. You have four seats to every single game. Uh, you need to find three people to go with every single game, or you need to sell the tickets. It's almost like a second job to own a set of seasons. <laughs> Especially in baseball, that's for sure. All right, last thing. Um, since you are, you're working with all these different teams and you have the specific experience of being the CEO of a single team, you learned through that experience how to speak to Oakland A's fans specifically. Now that you're working with all these different teams, is there uniformity among fans or do you see various differences of fan bases around the country? There's certainly some trends uh, that are consistent across the board. I think, you know, the festivalization of sports is certainly one of them we're seeing on a macro basis. Um, but we've taken the approach at Fan Rally that our platform is completely configurable. In other words, the executives running, you know, the Minnesota Twins, for example, are going to have much more insight into how to structure a membership program for their members than we are. So it's, you know, Fan Rally is not a one size fits all for exactly that reason. There's various demand scenarios. There's various, you know, seating scenarios where certain seats that on a seat map would look less valuable, but they've created uh, a great experience out there. You know, the rooftop in uh, Denver at the Rockies is a great example. Like they've turned their outfield into an incredible experience that they ticket very differently uh, from other areas. So I think it's a mixed bag. There's certainly some themes around flexibility and exclusivity. I want to be able to go when I want with who I want, and I want something special that are consistent across the board. 
But in terms of how things are structured, uh, we're seeing, you know, different teams have, you know, successes on, on different uh, with different approaches across our platform. Chris Giles is the CEO at Fan Rally. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Thank you, Bram. Appreciate it. On the next Future Sport Podcast, the way you sweat can tell you a lot about your body. It really shows that drinking the thirst is only going to prompt individuals to replenish about half of the fluids they've lost. And if your fluid losses are very small, then that that 50% error isn't that big a deal. But if you're an endurance athlete or you're a firefighter or you know a, a motorsports athlete or even a football player, and you guys are in sort of more extreme conditions, that 50% is actually really significant. That's Meredith Cass, CEO of Nix Biosensors, who is merging true biometrics into wearable and actionable technology. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.